even tonight, they're, they're going to get whatever food they want, tuck them in, read them a story, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever they need. Hey there, we're the Westlot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe, baby. And I'm Eric Skoskowspel. Ah, uh, we are uh, kind of still riding the high. Um, this unbelievable win in Dublin, Ireland, Northwestern beating Nebraska. Irish national champs, bitch. Irish national champions. You're absolutely right. Um, I know a I, lot. I've, a lot of people were there and just had a blast. And you know, we were seeing so many comments and so much chatter online of people who were just having a ball. Um, I was sitting on my couch, jealous, jealous, jealous. But uh, you know, we. we we got a lot to talk about here. There's a lot to get into. There's a lot to to break down and to discuss. Um, and we'll try not to k- take it off the rails, but you never know. I'll just I'll just say we'll circle back to the offensive line. But I just want to say that uh, I think I speak for the rest of Northwestern Nation uh, in joining uh, Ryan Halinski and saying that we will join Halinski in tucking them in and singing drunken lullabies. <laughs> not the worst weekend I've ever had, people. Not the worst weekend. Uh, th- this was this was a ride. Absolutely epic. Um, I don't know. There's a short list of pods we've been as stoked to do as this one. Um, 2020 Wisconsin springs to mind. Yeah. Uh, but but this is about as fun as it gets for us. Yeah. So like I said, um, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to try to keep it on the rails. Um, you know, we've got to talk about the offensive line. We got to talk about the defense. We got to talk about the running game. We got to talk about Helinski. We got to talk about the special teams, which made a huge deal in this game. Um, we got to talk about coaching. Like there's a lot to go through and, you know, we'll try to, like I said, try to keep it on the rails. But um, I, I think first, first of all, you know, we normally give out pirate booty uh, near the end of our pods, but I think, you know, the thing we want to start off this week, uh, instead of pirate booty, we're giving out pots of gold, and uh, let's do that. Let's do that off the top before we kind of dive into the the thick of things. I mean, John started it. It's the trench cats, number one with a with an absolute bullet for me. They were dominant in this game. Holinsky was was barely pressured. Um, this is the offensive line that we have been hoping for and waiting for and reading the tea leaves for. And they were just incredibly, incredibly good. And, a, and just a special performance in the moment. And uh, one, you know, not, not perfection. Uh, there were a couple of hiccups here and there, but like it, it bodes so well for the prospects of the offense. You saw the run game working. You saw the play action off of that working. It's exactly what Northwestern needs to be a competent, functional um, dare I say it, good offense. Um, and it's, it's a thing to behold. It, I, you're absolutely right. I can't, it was, it was incredible. I mean, I think we dared to dream with the offensive line specifically in the lead up, right. Of being like this experience matters and returning that many guys with that many reps the season before matters. Um, 
But like so many things in this game, it the line was just at the absolute maximum of expectations. Um, I I think I could easily dovetail into just Ryan Holinsky, who, again, if we tweeted, Ryan, you know, speaking of pots of gold, this is Ryan Holinsky's greatest game as a college football player, pretty unquestionably, if you look at the stats. And this is a guy who threw for 324 yards against Alabama as a freshman. So that's the kind of game Holinsky had, and it helped that his jersey was basically clean at the end of the game. And that's another piece of the offensive line. But again, Holinsky was dealing, I mean, 20 first half completions. He had 95 completions last year. Um, These are the kind of steps and steps upward and steps forward that you dare to dream about. And then to see everything existing at the upper realm of expectations in the same game is just incredible. He he, 8.3 yards per attempt for Holinsky. This is a guy who has averaged in the low to mid fives. Or I'm sorry, mid to high fives for for the prior seasons on the books. Um, even even in the in the height of the course, Clayton Thorson uh, days, we we typically did not hit close to eight yards per per attempt. Um, uh, you know, except in in certain games, like this was this was an epic quarterback performance. I know a lot of people have been citing that that no QB has thrown for 300 yards since. Um, back in like 2016 or whether I, I will cite that um, the Northwestern offense as a whole put up more yards on Scott Frost's uh, Nebraska team than only two other big 10 foes. Uh, one of those was Wisconsin in 2018 and the other was Ohio state in 2019. Yeah. So my, my pot of gold um, is Luke Akers. Like, you know, we, I mentioned the special teams off the top and we'll get into that again, but like Luke Akers and his ability to put Nebraska deep in their territory, forcing them to go as far as possible into the jaws of our defense, which, you know, the first drive of the game aside was incredible. And for Akers to just consistently put him in their shadow of their end zone, um, you know, it, it allowed the ultra conservative fourth quarter running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, running the ball. It allowed that to be, um, it allowed us to not have to pass. We didn't have to get first downs because our defense was playing out of their minds and Akers was putting them so far away from from scoring range. Well, I, that 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 second was it the second drive where he pinned them deep and then we forced I think a three and out. Um Yeah. And it, it completely changed field position. I mean, this is, you know, this is the classic field position punt to win mentality that does drive a lot of college football fans crazy but like luke Akers legit changed the game um and and flipped the field a couple different times to set up northwestern with uh, more manageable fields and that that that's how it's supposed to work people i i have one other pot of gold and that yeah, is please. um specifically for uh for garnet hollis so garnet hollis is a dude that put his name into the transfer portal eight months ago and we were beside ourselves because we see him as, you know, the heir apparent to uh, Cam Mitchell and, and A.J. Hampton um, and just this, you know, excellent train of defensive backs that that have been you know coming through Northwestern for years now. And when Hampton went down with an injury, Hollis came in. They tested him almost immediately and he was up to the challenge. My goodness, did he play so good this game? Um, and the 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 deep shot, I think, to Trey Parker um, or Porter. I'm for, I'm forgetting um, 
which it is Palmer, Trey Palmer. That's the P that that's the P last name. Anyways, um, they took a deep shot that, uh, that Hollis just ran in stride, um, jumped up, disrupted, dislodged and disrupted the ball. Yes. There was maybe like a little bit of early contact, but the rest were letting that go like on both sides of the ball. So, um, but still like just an incredible performance for uh, a guy in, in some of his first meaningful minutes. And that was absolutely critical. I mean, in, you know, we talked in our previews that defensive depth in the secondary was may, maybe a spot where there's some questions and uh, for them, for them to handle something like that in stride was spectacular. Well, you know, that's probably a good place to get into the fact that, so first of all, let me say like, I'm going to be, very sad because pretty soon Scott Frost is going to be gone. I don't know how <laughs> no, soon it's going to be. This is like when Lovey got fired. We're like, oh, do, do, do you have to? Yeah, uh, it, probably October. I think everyone's just there's that buyout. Whenever that buyout drops yeah, is what everyone's October saying. 1st, I mean, his buyout goes from 15 to seven and a half. Right. Gets there aren't many There aren't many people whose stock is any lower. But I'm, I'm going to be bummed because at that point, our um, – almost uncanny ability to live inside Scott Frost's mind and know what he's going to do isn't going to matter anymore. It isn't going to have any service to us. Um, I mean, I, what can we say? We spent 45 minutes mapping out the exact thing Nebraska did when they came out. And not only that, it was just the, the ability to understand, A, that Nebraska was going to do the exact same thing that we said. And why? Why? Because there's this conflict. And even though Frost doesn't want to run this offense, he has no leverage. He's fighting for his job, right? People are demanding he's... And you, as the game went on, I mean, A, they were throwing all day. But then B, late in the game, his displeasure with the fact that they weren't doing more on the ground and that his own OC... It almost seemed like he was like leading an insurrection and then practically threw his OC under the bus in the post-game press conference. And it's just like he absolutely yeah, threw him under the bus. Yeah. And just the idea that like you were watching a guy just that they came out, they did what they wanted, it worked really well at first, and then it started to go haywire late in the game, and they didn't have a, a point of adjustment. And and again, this is something that we talked about earlier where it's like Nebraska got a bunch of yards and Again, there are, there are plenty of problems in our defense that we continue to have to work out, but our whole thesis was Nebraska is going to play into our hands with this offense, and that's what they did. And honestly, like you can look and be like, Casey Thompson threw a ton of yards, but it was pretty clear that midway through the second half, he lost the location on his fastball uh, in no small part to the pressure he was being put under. And his, and his, his favorite target, the tight end, did right. get hurt, and when he went out, their entire offense changed. Right, and at that point, just the wheels started to fall off the wagon, and I think the that's credit to the defense. And again, our defense is working through a lot of stuff, but I mean, Scuzz mentioned like a Garnett Hollis coming in, playing the whole time. This restructured defensive line, which we'll get into, but I mean, like the the defensive line that we are putting together and putting out there and and you know in this case making work and yeah except for that blitz and then the the play where um, Thompson fell down I think Ryan Williams was credited with a sack but there was just a lot of pressure and that was kind of part of our whole thesis right was look, like just, look we're not looking for sacks but just get pressure 
give our secondary something to feast on, right? And then you have the Cam Mitchell interception, and it's like, there you go. Pressured quarterback, not locating a ball, right? Um, well, we outlined, and this is something we were discussing a little bit before the before getting on the pod here, because like the thing that we that we said going into this game was we don't know that Northwestern is capable of throwing the haymaker that disrupts this this Nebraska team, but this is a Nebraska team coming in feeling themselves. Um, they're you know they're confident. Their coach is out there, you know, say, saying stuff uh, in press conferences that he, I bet he wish he didn't say um, in retrospect. But they've got you know all these big time transfers. Palmer coming from um, from LSU. They've got uh, uh, Thompson, another whiteout from Texas. That you know that this this stacked talent team that even like Kirk Herbstreet says what 48 hours before the game is going to win the Big Ten West. Um, in this weird location uh, against a team that typically they, it's a rock fight. And last year they happened to get the better of us. Um, and it just, it had all the makings of a game where if Northwestern got to the second half and it was close. And what we talked about is like Northwestern could lose this game in the first quarter, but if they get to this, if they get to the second half, you start to, the game is tight, starting to go down the stretch. Nebraska is going to tighten up and, and, it's exactly what we saw. And I think John, your comment was, you know, you could play this game 20 times and this is the, this is the closest it ever is, it, you know, in that Northwestern outplayed them, dominated them on the lines, et cetera. I argue that a, a critical component of that is getting to the second half. Like you could replay that second half a hundred times and this is as close as it gets. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, cause that's the thing. I mean, there's the flip side, right? I mean the, so first of all, I think a lot of people are pointing to to two things. I mean, casual fans. One, the Grayson Mets forced fumble. I'll take a little issue with not because like, yeah, I get it. Like potentially the guy's knee was down and potentially he didn't quite get that ball out. That's not what I'm taking issue with. What I'm taking issue with is like for anyone who's watched Grayson Mets, this is a thing that he does. He's done it on special teams a couple of times. For all you Chicago Bears fans, they call it the peanut punch after Charles Peanut Tillman. Uh, Grayson Mets try like he'll show up at a situation where someone's making a tackle and he is like you're gonna see this guy force a bunch more fumbles so just get ready for that like i'm like whether or not it was like by a millisecond he had it or not on this one like this is something that he does and does really effectively and he did it right there um and then the other thing the onsides kick which again like i mean people can get into that i mean you know you can argue over situational stuff um Etc. But I mean, Andrew Clare was ready for that ball. Like that's the bottom line. Like he was going to get it. Um, but so you have these situations. Okay. A couple of things, particularly that force fumble, because right, if Nebraska gets out, that's a heck of a hole to get back into. But then kind of a scuzz alluded to, like, I'll just keep coming back to the fact that like we were dominating in the trenches in this game on both sides of the ball. And except for that 46 yard play on that crazy situation where, um, our defense was just gassed because there had been that crazy drive where to his credit, Thompson made a Cinderella play happen. And then we immediately had the Cam Porter fumble after that. Um, We had that situation where our D was gassed and Anthony Grant got the long touchdown run. Aside from that, Nebraska didn't have anything going on the ground um, in that game. And then we've already said everything the offensive line did. So, I mean, again, I just came away feeling that at the end of the day, like this is a team that got down 14, three, 
but then just dominated in the trenches the rest of the game and got the win that they deserved. I, this is a perfect transition to start to really dig in on the offense, which I know we want to we want to hit offense and then defense and then start to think about where where, where we go in the future. Um, I so I talked a lot in the offensive preview about Northwestern's identity on that side of the ball, how they lost it last year, just the confounding decisions that the coaches were making with regard to who was getting carries, who wasn't getting, mostly who wasn't getting carries. Um, and then, you know, the, the quarterback stuff fueled into that. And I just, I just want to highlight. So we get down 14, three and yes, we had a couple of, you know, we had that big pass. Um, Halinski found Gordon. He found Malik Washington. Um, Evan Hall had a nice run. And then you get the big, the big Raymond Nairo um, touchdown to, to bring us back to 14, 10. But so much of that was off play action. I mean, like, I, 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 I'm not sure that I could count on more than one hand of the number of passes that Ryan Helinski threw that were not off play action. By contrast, let's go back to that Michigan State game to start last year. Sorry, sorry to do this. <laughs> but um, the first drive that Northwestern had in that, in that game against Michigan State, uh, they drove from their own 35 to the Michigan State 26, Nice blend of passing and running, and then missed a field goal. So, for starters, how important is it that uh, our 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 backup kicker, I might add, Adam Stage, hit a field goal on that second drive to get Northwestern on the board? Critical. Um, Michigan State goes and scores another touchdown. They're up fourteen to nothing. We come back down. Pass, wide receiver run, pass, 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 pass. Path on pass on fourth and seven from the Michigan State twenty-two. So just juxtapose that against what you saw yesterday. A team using play action, using strength at the point of the attack with their with their offensive line, and 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 never letting that identity of who they were offensively go away. It happened on the second series of last season. And we never got it back. And that was that was true throughout the game yesterday. I like I was very uncomfortable with the 15 straight runs at the end of the game, as many of, of you were. It just it just brought up a lot of bad memories in the past. But like at the same time, like the 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 grounding in, of, in Northwestern's identity of the past was almost like a warm blanket. I just think too the the you, I mean you're absolutely right, and I know a lot of people are focused on a lot of those plays at the end, a couple of those conservative third down calls late in the game. And I mean, the, the, to be to be fair, there were some questionable third down calls throughout the game. It wasn't just late in the game; yes. like there was uh, in the red zone, there were definitely some calls like third and third and ten, and it was a designed like five yard play. Um, well, well, not even like like runs to the short side that like yeah. I mean it was there was no chance it was going to to even get broken. So there were a couple, um, and but I just want to stress a that um, there were a couple of times where Mike Bajakian did everything we have been asking him to do. That one drive you mentioned, where I mean there were, it was a mix of really effective running plays and a screen pass to Hall. And an awesome like pull to the left where Preeb's pulling out into space and catching Thomas Gordon deep and working out of two back sets and like this incredible hodgepodge of everything we've been asking for. So given that we saw a lot of those things we've desperately been wanting, I would I would almost say like 
give the offense a little leeway, an offense that had 501 total yards, and be like, I doubt even the coaches knew it was going to be this good. And be like, yeah. You have to go back to Maryland of 2020 for the last time Northwestern had 500 yards in total offense. And I, have, and I haven't looked at the, at the points, but I, I can't remember many times that we scored 30 or more points since that 43-point uh, beatdown of the, of the, ter- of the Terrapins it, either, right? It has definitely been a hot minute. So like, like, yes, I totally hear you. I guess my, my point, my point is just like, in addition to the identity thing, like, and I know a lot of people are having bad memories of, of down the stretch. I think, I think there is a view of that, that like, Hey, this is game one and we're coaching for the season, not the game, which I, you know, you can quibble with that right, wrong or indifferent. I think that's what they probably chose to do. And, uh, I just I hope that you know in six weeks, if when faced with a similar scenario, we see something a, a, a little bit more dynamic. Well, I mean that's my that's kind of my my thesis that I'm kind of working with is like we, we play in two weeks, right? I think again, you wish and you hope and you pray for certain things, but what the things that we saw against Nebraska from this offense kind of changes you to be like, oh wow. So like all the things that we wanted to do, I guess we can kind of do those yeah. <laughs> against a lot of against a lot of defenses. Um, Attack downfield with a tight end, check. Uh, make 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 passes in the red zone, check. Um, leverage a really diverse wide receiver core, check. And I think of one of those plays where like where Garrett Nelson came off the corner, right? And that was Skaronsky's job. And by the way, like Skaronsky bolstered his, you know, like the guy needed any more draft capital, but his performance Lord against Almighty. Garrett Nelson in this game uh, and in general. But Garrett Nelson is a guy who's going to be a pretty high NFL draft pick as an edge rusher. And he is one of the big weapons in Nebraska. I mean, we talked about their, their linebackers are awesome. That's their group, Luke Reimer, you know, et cetera, um, and Garrett Nelson. And that that's the strength of their defense. Overall, it's a defense with a lot of their weak spots, but we still slotted, you know, we, we established there's like that eight team best of the rest defensively and Nebraska might be up near the top. Like within those eight, there's not some like hidden monster people. Like what was done to Nebraska in this game can be done to a ton of the teams on our schedule. And I think that's one of the things that just has us so stoked. And I'll be honest, like earlier today, I almost got like emotional for a second thinking about this just to be like, after one game, seeing what this offense is and just realizing, be like, look, I can't go and I can't be like, we're going to win this game. We're going to lose this game. We're going to win this game. We're going to lose this game. I don't know. I don't have that kind of crystal ball. But we all just saw what this team can be. We saw this team reach a level across all levels of the offense at every position that was not reached last season. And it's just like, oh my God, we're rolling the best possible expectation we could have had for an offense into this season. And then thinking about what that means going forward. And it's just like, oh God, for for all of us who went through that whole last season, it just has the effect of just emotionally filling your cup back up and i'm you know i'm just just so stoked about it there were some tears shed into a guinness on my porch uh, my front porch <laughs> after the game 100 percent. yeah, yeah. I, I mean and again it's just like just what it meant and what it means for the guys and just seeing it and for the trench cats again who like weight of expectations right being like are we a team that just turns out a left tackle into the first round every couple of years and then you know that's it and it's like no 
these guys who were all big recruits, who we all touted, we were like, they can all come together. They can all play together. And then they just did. And they dominated. And again, this is the part that we come back to when it's like, yes, I know there was a time when the game could have got away from us in the first half. And, and that that Mets There were two times. We, we, came, yeah. we came back from 11 down twice. Right. Right. And that... but that, Guess that who's never f- done that? Yeah, Scott right. Frost. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, and that's, I mean, Fitz, credit to the guy. Fitz wins close games. I mean, it is what it is. But, and Frost loses close games. So. And Frost loses close games. And and But the way we were dominating and the fact that, I mean, there was that sequence. And this is where, again, you know, talking about discrepancy and officiating, we were the more penalized team and, and a couple of those were on us. But there was that one penalty where it was the drive that ended in the missed field goal. And that was one of the third down calls that a lot of people quibbled with. The problem with that was it was a third and two. And then Nebraska's scared defensive line jumped off sides. And they called it on Pete Skaronsky. And then we were looking at a third and seven. We made a bad play call. But that was in the middle of a drive that we were pile driving them. And then the that penalty had the effect of, of short circuit. And again, we missed a field goal, whatever. But if that penalty is called correctly, we score a touchdown on that drive. That's just the way that it was going. And the very next drive, we scored. And that was the thing we tweeted out. We was like, literally all you do is just piss this offensive line off, and now you're going to pay. And that's exactly what happened. And by the end of that drive, that ended with Evan Hull walking into the end zone, Nebraska was just done. That defense was done. They were going to give up a touchdown every trip after that. They were just getting plowed underfoot. And I think for a lot of us, like, that's the takeaway. And that's where I come back to, again, are there some murderer's row defenses on our uh, schedule? Yes, there are. Are there another seven or eight that aren't? Yes, there are. Yep. <laughs> and and that's what I'm looking at when I'm thinking about. And, you know, is Duke one of those? Yes, they are. And that's the kind of thing that you're looking at when you look at that kind of performance on the ground. Speaking of performances on the ground, oh yes. my God, was it nice to see Cam Porter back. Like oh. him missing last season and, you know, coming in and running as powerfully as he did. I was like, oh my God, I, I, I had forgotten how powerful of a runner he is. He, he was, it was so wonderful to see him. And, and like on, on his first couple carries, like he, he certainly looked, um, I don't want to say out of sync, but um, he didn't. He didn't get much on his first couple of carries. Obviously, he had the fumble later on. But I like something I wanted to call back to. I I feel like I did Evan Hull a bit of a disservice in our in our offensive preview, um, in that I very much deferred to Cam Porter as like the guy that that things need to run through because of his versatility, et cetera. I think. Um, a, a two deep, you know, may, may have helped me like readjust those expectations. If I knew that Evan, Scuzz, Evan Hall Scuzz, was like running Scuzz, back one, don't, pit, don't piss Evan Hall off or he'll break five tackles in the interior <laughs> on one play. <laughs> well, I know like, well, so, so first of all, like d- Hall looks, um, incredible. He, he, like he, he, he looks like the Hulk in a, you know, hundred and, and 96 pound body like like the 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 dude has and they they couldn't stop talking about how much time he's put in in the weight room in the off season on the broadcast etc um he just looks so strong and then the, the you know his his ability to fight for for yards um and you know move through move through the line and through the holes create his own hole like like 
is is great. His speed was on display, and then and then Porter just punishing defenders. It, it, his his physical like I was right to describe these guys as having slightly different styles, um, and it was so good to see Porter back on the field, and it brought back all the the warm fuzzy memories from late 2020 when he was just decimating Illinois and and making Ohio State linebackers look silly. Um, and the, the two of them, the two of them are incredible to watch. This is going to be so much fun to watch these guys throughout this year because they they will be the cornerstone of this offense and they're so damn good. And uh, yeah, like like they're hearing Hull talk about Porter in the postgame press conference, too. And um, like you can just tell the, the amount of, you know, respect and, and joy that they have playing together. And it's um, it, this is going to be a really, really fun one to watch. And, you know. Ray Niro with the wide open touchdown pass, you know, Thomas Gordon, you know, finding him down, down the field, Anthony Tyus rumbling one oh, catch for so 34 sick. yards. Uh, oh my God. I, uh, I'll be Donnie honest. Navarro. Oh, Don, well, so like that's two guys you brought up because Donnie Navarro had me here in Austin cars music. Uh, <laughs> and, Dude, and, serious. The leaping ability. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and, and I'll be honest. Uh, uh, Anthony Tyus had me hearing Cam Green's music a little bit. And that's not to say that Anthony Tyus, I'm just saying I watched him come over the middle and I was just like, Oh my God, this is, this guy's giving me Cam Green flashbacks. He looks so solid. And then he caught it and turned it upfield and everything. Look, Anthony Tyus was a four-star running back. I'm just saying, you know, where did he, where did he line up on that? No, where did he line up on that play? I'm serious. I I wanted to go back and look for it. And I just haven't had a chance. he, He lined up. This was wild. I was five wide. He was the farthest receiver out in five wide to wow. the right side of the field. I was in shock. That's beautiful. And then he ran a drag route. Yeah. And turned it upfield and was like, so, I mean, again, I was like, I don't know what the future plans are for Anthony Tyus. We all know he's a battering ram. I'm just like, just saying, it's like, y- you look like Garrett Dickerson there. And we put that guy into the NFL as an H-back. So it's like, if you're, <laughs> if you're interested in that route, feel free. Um, but yeah, the- I mean. The, I mean, the, the exceptional play of Hull and Porter, you know, one of the first kind of questions you have coming off of that is like, oh gosh, like how much of the field is Andrew Clare going to see? And obviously like he was, he was pretty impactful on special teams. Um, he had uh, a really nice run. He had, he, oh, he had, he had such a great reception opportunity, a couple of good reception opportunities that um, one, one got dropped and one, I think Holinsky just missed. Um, so he's going to get used, but, but you do wonder like, does, does, Tyus become more of kind of like a fullback fullback option or 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 the old Dan Vitale superback kind of vibe because like you saw you know we talked about it in the previews again like two tight ends not feeling it um love but, love but what if one Thomas of those tight ends is Tyus yeah exactly and well and we saw a lot of two back sets which is what we were expecting and that gives you a lot of flexibility to do a lot of things because Hull is so good catching the ball if Tyus is a viable like receiver slash fullback slash tight end, like you can Claire can, can, can ch- catch the ball really, really well. Porter had a bunch of catches his, his freshman year too. So like, there's just so much flexibility there. And as the cornerstone is the identity is the heart of this offense. Um, I I'm just, I'm so excited to see what we can do with that as the, as the year goes on. Let's talk about Ryan Holinsky real quick. I mean, and really focus on him started off the game eight for eight. Um, you know, it, like the whole cloak and dagger on will he start, won't he start? Like we, so he, dumb. it was, was going to be him. Like so dumb, so dumb. He comes in 
and just looks phenomenal off the off the jump. You know, just an incredible first half. He he absolutely did, and this is something where again, I think we sort of said it at the time, and and it was true. I feel like part of it was wishful thinking on our part a little bit. What was basically like. In those Purdue and Illinois dumpster fires last year, Ryan Helinski was kind of okay. Like, he had a kind of emerged from the giant mess that he'd been in, and he was basically locating his his receivers in those games. I mean, there was one play, he threw an absolute dime to Malik downfield, in, you know, into tight coverage um, against Purdue that led to Malik tweeting like, that's my quarterback because it was a great play and everything. It was just all lost in how horrible the overall situation was. With all that said, I didn't know he's going to be like this. Um, he, I mean, just absolute, like Sam said, just dimes out there. And he was getting the protection, but it's like, so what? Like, again, I can't stress this enough. Like, the offensive line showed that they are ready to protect against defenses that are not elite. And Ryan Helinski showed this, like, if you protect me, I'm going to locate all day. And then Malik, I mean, because you talked about it, how good he looked last season um, and kind of like stealth, like no one was worried that he was going to be the number one receiver. And he just looked like a demon out there. I mean, just totally handle his business. And I mean, making plays, God, just making yeah. plays, just making plays. When and- he sh- when, was it he was it him that broke the t- I think it was like he, he caught a, a pass over the middle and then. Um, just shook the shook the safety, broke the tackle, and raced further downfield. Like just making plays all the time. And it reminded me of the Rutgers game because he did that exact same thing. And you yeah, know, he caught the long TD in the Rutgers game where he broke the the, the the tackle and then and busted it. It's just like our cup runneth over with like Evan Hall looking Evan Hall AF, Cam Porter looking Cam Porter AF. Right, Evan Hall. It's like our whole wish list. I wish Evan Hall would catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. Five for 55 <laughs> yards, right? Boy, I wish Thomas Gordon would develop into that downfield passing threat that we all, you know, two for 39, 19.5 yards a carry, like out of the classic Mike Bajakian playbook, right? And then, right, and then a guy like um, like Donnie Navarro, who like, again, was doing his Austin Carr impersonation. I'm just, golly, but, but, everything. But it, it does start with Holinsky because we, we had – we had weapons at wideout last year and we couldn't unlock. And it, like, it's a, it's a combo of pass pro was super inconsistent last year and the running game wasn't there to start the season. And the quarterbacks were on the back foot all season. And I just I, like so much credit to Holinsky after a really tough year. I mean, I think if you pulled Northwestern fans at the end of last season, the majority of them would have said, no, we need to go get a transfer quarterback. Like, like what we have ain't going to cut it. And Halinski, you know, I think we, I think we mentioned this, but it came, it came up a number of times on the broadcast. This is the first time in his career. He's had the same offense coordinator two years in a row and he showed what he can do. Um, I think when you couple that with just, he has, he has such a gregarious personality, you know, he's quipping jokes in the, in the, in the postgame press press conference, giving all the credit to his offensive linemen talking about um the patch that he kept with him his from from when his brother played i think it was a high school showcase game in ireland um just like you you love to root for this dude and to see him put it put it together on the field and to be you know a leader in the moment you know calling all the right the right rpo 
plays. I mean, like, like this was this was this was a true RPO offense where Halinski was making the making the decision to um, hand off or pass um, many 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 times uh, throughout the game, and uh, it's just like all the credit to the work that that dude has put in and the attitude that he carries and and the the leader that he's being for this team. And two, I mean, guys, you talked about it. It's like, lest we forget, major recruit, big time yeah. recruit, yeah. big time tools. And when a guy gets in the right headspace and finds where he needs to be, right, and hits that zone, you remember it's like the throw to Nairo, the 41 yard touchdown pass. He back footed that. The yeah, I was just going to say it, that. The announcers called it in the moment, just off his back foot, dime. Just forty-one yard dime, um, and just you'll, like you'll note that Nairo did not have to slow down, stop, right, uh, or in anything. Stride. Yep, right. Um, so, I mean, what can you say? This is a guy who just, just absolutely delivering on his promise, and and offensively, um, just absolutely. So, I mean, God, our cup could not have runneth over. Should we talk a little defense? No, but before we do that, I yeah. I wanted I wanted to um, look at that fourth down conversion. Mm. Can we talk about that for oh, a sec? Shit, that sure. was so sick. Yeah. I still the can't stones. believe they actually did it. I cannot believe yeah. like they they did it and ran a QB keeper. Like they they tried to pull Nebraska off a couple times, and but the time they they did it, like it, the field position was not at a place where I would have thought they would have gone for it. You know, like punt it, get him get him pinned deep. But like to have the stones to call that fourth down. Uh, QB draw or QB keeper was just awesome to see. So I pair that with another Fitz moment that probably not as many people saw, which was when we missed the second field goal. And when we missed when we missed the second field goal, they they showed Fitz, and Fitz had a reaction that could best be described as. Eh, screw it, we're smoking this team on the ground anyway. Like, that's literally his reaction. You can watch his face, and he's just like, eh, we're going to plow him the next time we get the ball. Like, you can just see it. And I feel like he just knew early on. He was like, we are manhandling this team in the trenches. And if I get a chance to leverage that, and of course, you could probably fold so many of those run calls in, because it's not like we haven't seen Fitz go that route before. Um, But I feel like Fitz is a guy who we know he wants to be that team. And he knew by probably the second quarter that he had the ponies and that the trench cats were just delivering and so are our backs. And he's just like, screw it. Like, we're running over this team. And any chance I get to prove that, I'm going to prove it. So, I mean, you, you got to love it. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. All right, so l- let's let's talk about the defense. Um where where should we start? Let's start with the defensive line just because so first of all, for me personally, I think 
this is the, the area I had most circled. When I think so many people were like thinking about quarterback when we didn't release that depth chart. I was literally like, I don't have a clue what we're doing on the defensive line. And I'm not going to know until we actually see these guys because we're not releasing a two deep. And at the end of the day, and for those of you, some of you still might not know, so I'll map it out. Here was what the two deep looked like. Eight guys played. Basically eight guys. Really, it was a heavy heavier rotation of seven, um, but there were eight guys. The front four was um, Atatama Adeware, of course. Um, Devin O'Rourke at defensive tackle. God love him. So good to see him out there. I mean, just good. Getting playing time. Tayshawn Holmes, who is... Aside from Atamaiwa Adeware, logged more minutes than anyone else. And that is because he is probably got 40 pounds on every one of our other defensive linemen and actually has weight and can and can kind of hold it down in the middle there. And then Sean McLaughlin. So there's your front four. Um, you had Ryan Williams playing end and tackle. Ryan Johnson. Um, Ryan Johnson. Sorry, Ryan Johnson playing uh, end and tackle. And um, then three really, really interesting names filling out the other three spots. The first one I'm going to mention is Carmine Bastone, who was the eighth guy in the group. And of the eight, he probably played the least. But I want to stress, this is a second year, 6'2", 266 pound preferred walk-on. He had an offer from Cornell. And he chose to prefer walk-on at Northwestern. And two years later, he's helping man the interior in Ireland in a massive win over Nebraska, which is just incredible to me. I mean, that is the Northwestern walk-on spirit all the way. Um, And then the other two guys, these are the two, you mean, get excited, people. Uh, Najee Story and Aiden Hubbard. These are two guys who were both big recruits. Um... And uh, Najee's story is playing defensive tackle for us right now, which again, this is a guy who's listed at 250, but he has that strength that you look and you're like, that's like Adewari strength, where you just see a guy and you'll be like, oh, this guy's splitting double teams. This guy's splitting double teams where both of the guys double teaming him weigh 30 pounds more than him. He's that kind of guy. That's the kind of guy he looked like on his high school tape. That's why he was a four-star prospect. But then Hubbard, um, I mean, wow. This guy, I mean, he's wearing number 91. He's playing defensive end. And he's coming off the end like crazy. This is a guy who was a really tall linebacker um, in high school and kind of played edge. And now he's playing defensive line. It still looks like he's got weight to, to, to add. But he is fast off the edge. And so that's the four. And it's this interesting mix of, again, I think the fact that as we talked about so much in the opening in the pod last week, we really thought there was a chance Nebraska was going to play into our hands because of the what their approach was going to be and the fact they were going to be committed to throwing the ball. And that helps us. And then seeing this defensive line, that was over, that was even more um, clear. If you go by list weights, aside from Tayshawn Holmes, of the guys I just mentioned, average weight is 265 pounds. This is probably the lightest defensive rotation I've ever seen Northwestern use. That does not mean it's not a good defensive rotation. It just means when, just prepare yourself. When we play Minnesota, 
And there are times where we're giving up 50 pounds, every one of our guys to every one of their guys all the way across the line. That's just going to cause problems. It's physics. Okay. Um, But the flip side is Tommy, I mean, Najee's story, these guys were getting after it all day long. There were several plays where credit to Casey Thompson, he somehow got himself out of plays that looked like surefire sacks. Um, And it was just a a group that, again, do I believe they have a potential to get bodied by some of the largest, most dedicated running teams we play? Yeah. You know what? Maximum, there's three of those on our schedule. And the rest of them are ones where it's like, if this group can do what they did against Nebraska, I feel pretty good about what they can do against everybody else. And I mean... If you if you offered me this a month ago, I would have taken it as like a miracle. So well, it's just fantastic. It, it just comes back to the decision making we've been talking about for you know a week and a half now, and to to understand what Nebraska's offense was going to be, and to and maybe this is the same eight guys we're going to see every game all year long, right? And even when we're up against a really heavy, you know, Wisconsin or Minnesota offensive line with a powerful running back. And all they want to do is just, you know, go at Northwestern's run D and, and, and maybe won't go as well as it did against Nebraska. But, but, but seriously to like, to use these guys to this effect, and we didn't get a ton of sacks, right. But Casey Thompson was uncomfortable in the second half. And that wasn't just at a That was, um, you know, Johnson was in there. Yeah, the, I think the only actual sack we got was on the on the Azima uh, Azima, yeah, yeah, the, the Azima blitz. But although I should I should note on that play, Hubbard was about to blow him up on that play. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, I think the, the the right the the left tackle uh, moved inside to to cover off on that, and uh, Azima went right around right around the outside. But regardless, like we made Thompson uncomfortable, and and against a team like Nebraska that's going to run tempo, that's going to throw a lot, that's going to try to get the ball out quick. You need faster, lighter dudes to do it. Now, maybe these are the only dudes we have, and we're not going to see anything else the rest of the way, but um, to see a guy like Hubbard and to see a guy like Story being used and leveraged, understanding what they can be good at and how they can contribute, that's a massive step forward from what we saw in in a number of different facets of this of this football team in 2021. Right. And I, and I think too, like you can look and be like, look, we talked about the injury bug. I mean, Jordan Butler didn't play in this game. Jason Gold didn't play in this game. Right. Um, those are two of the largest defensive linemen on our roster. Again, we don't have any details or anything, but again, it's like, we look at that. And we're like, it's just, I'm sad for those guys. Um, and of course it's like a huge loss to the interior of our defensive line, but it's like, this is what we're, we're dealing with. Right. And so it's, it's being realistic about that, but at the same time being like, look, the baby didn't get thrown out with the bathwater here. Like, you look and you're like, yeah, Najee Story and Aiden Hubbard were huge recruits, and they look really good. And it's like, I almost was thinking, in a way, the defensive line that we saw was almost the soul of those Gary Patterson three three five stack defenses that you saw during, like, the TCU glory days, but just not out of a three three five stack, out of, like, a standard 4-3. It's like... Just because guys are not 300 pounds doesn't mean they're not strong and they don't get after it. Now, again, those TCU Gary Patterson teams didn't have to play teams with 330-pound linemen that just wanted to run straight up the field again and again and again. But that's not most of our schedule. It's just not. Like, it sure as hell ain't Duke. 
Um, and like, again, so it's like, it's, it's, I think it's, you can be realistic and you can be like, look, like again, averaging 265 across just about all these guys is what it is, but it is an exciting group and a young group and a group you're going to see some real stuff out of. So let's talk about the linebackers. Um, you know, I, we didn't like Nebraska never really did any outside runs. So we didn't get to see a lot of the, the lateral movement. Um, from the linebackers that we were kind of worried about. They were using some of those, um, like early on, this is a lot of the success they had was, was going to um, their tight end underneath or going sure. to Palmer on the outside. I mean, they were stretching us horizontally and they, and like and Northwestern was clearly playing like a very conservative, like shell, keep everything in front of us um, type defense. Right. And then they, they did a great job of, of, of rallying to the, to the ball and tackling there are a couple of missed tackles here and there, but like, I, you know, that, that, that type of running approach wasn't what Nebraska was going to do. And I think they were, they were well prepared for it. I think as the game went on, that's the other thing. Like you, you saw adjustments in the second half, you saw the Northwestern defense uh, start to, to, to choke some of those things off. And, and to, like, I forget, I forget what the play was, if it was a pass or, or a, or a, a pitch out to, to Palmer late in the game that the defense identified and, and smoked him for a four yard loss. Like, those were the sorts of things you could just feel this defense uh, going from, you know, get settled and, and by the end of the game turning into the hunter, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think the, the, with that in mind, I mean, obviously Bryce Gallagher, we have to start talking about a guy again, yeah, continued yeah, upward. Sure. This is what a continued upward trajectory looks like. Nine solo. I was going to say shock. <laughs> I was going to say shock of shocks. Uh, a Gallagher led us in tackles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and just, he's, he's again, better and better and better. And he's a guy where, again, a situation where he's basically like, oh, okay. Like I like, again, like realism, are there chances where later on you've got huge offensive lines wearing us down? It's like, fine. Yeah. I don't care. That's like a couple teams on our schedule. We play tons of teams like this. Where he's going like, oh, defensive line doing a pretty good job in front of me. I'm just going to eat all day here. Um, and did a phenomenal job. And then right next to him, I mean, the first, the guy I want to talk about is Xander Miller. Who the, so he's a fascinating case to watch um, what he looked like in this game. And then spinning that forward to two weeks from now. Because no one's going to have a bigger test than him against Duke. And the situation is, you look at him, he's maybe a little underweight, but he's really tall, and he's really, and he's pretty fleet of foot. His instincts and aggressiveness are unbelievable for a guy who hasn't played this much. His problem is that he gets a little over-aggressive at this point in time. And if you look, what you see is several of the times Nebraska ran he diagnosed the play so fast and was like, I know where this is going. I know where he's going to end up that he overran the play and that he went a little bit too fast. That's in terms of like problems that a linebacker with no starting experience can have. That's about as good as it gets. Like this is not a guy who was lost 
or couldn't find the play or, you know, having trouble hitting or whatever. He was just diagnosing and overrunning it a little bit. And that's not every play. A lot of the plays, he ended up exactly where he needed to be and shed tackles, shed blocks, made tackles and everything. Again, looked very good. And then the so one of the surprises, we didn't see Wendell Davis. I don't know what the situation with that is, if it's a situation where it's injury or if these were just the, the best personnel. Again, I think before the Wendell Davis transfer, if you would ask me, I would have said it's going to be uh, Bryce Gallagher, Xander Miller, and Grayson Metz. And those are the three linebackers we saw in this game. Now, I think if we got deep into the personnel, I think potentially it may have actually been kind of like star heavy and star light with uh, Grayson Metz and Rod Hurd. But then again, Rod Hurd may have just been playing straight up nickel. And because we had five DBs on the field so often. So it, it's kind of hard to know. With Mets, again, he's if he's the third guy, my favorite thing about him right now is that literally, again, for a guy who we've seen start almost no football games, he somehow has a calling card. And that is the fact that he comes in with that club arm like crazy, looking to force fumbles. And which, I mean, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> Like a guy who might rip the ball out any, at any particular time in any game. So again, I, I think they showed great stuff. We're going to see, uh, like, we'll get into it down the road certainly next week. Duke's looking at this tape being like, we ain't, we ain't doing what Nebraska did. And one of the things they are going to do is test the linebackers. So I think it'll be, it'll be, you know, bright lights for those guys in two weeks. But so far, so good. So secondary. Um EJ Hampton gets hurt. Uh, I, I think I heard on the broadcast he was in a walking boot in the second half. So, <sighs> not um, good. Yeah, yeah not that, good. that's definitely a, an area of concern. Mo- most worried yeah. about him going out an injury, and then um, Thomas Gordon got dinged up as well. So those those were those two were no bueno for sure. Yeah, although as Scuzz mentioned right off the top, Garnett Hollis answered the call. Yeah, so I was gonna say like the comp. So first of all. Hollis was spectacular, but Cameron Mitchell is. Oh my a, God. He is a I mean, dude. I like, there was some banter in the post game press conference. Like, Newsom has been on social media. Play- yeah. Just talking about how Mitchell's better than him. Yeah. You know, he's so good. Cam's not, Cam's not playing free football for too much longer. No. Um, and much like Newsom, uh, Cam Mitchell's also not afraid to, you know, speak up for himself and, and highlight his own talents, et cetera. He's just like, He's so good, though. And, John, you described it perfectly in the defensive preview uh, last week that he's the type of DB. He just he climbs uh, into a receiver's hip pocket and runs with that receiver stride for stride and then and then breaks up passes like 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 the deep shot. I think on Nebraska's second drive, uh, maybe it was their third drive. It was just it was freaking textbook. Like, like the receiver got his hands on it and Mitchell in the air, having not made any early contact. I mean, run with this dude for 50 yards gets his hand right in there and like actually dislodges the ball, not like tips the ball as it's going, like dislodges it out of the receiver's hands. He's so flipping good. And honestly, this might be the best cornerback pairing we've had since Hartage and Newsom. So hopefully, and again, like hopefully Hampton can come back. Um, But again, Hollis showed a lot out there for sure. I mean, again, you mentioned the play. I was almost like, there's the play where he absolutely got away with with uh, getting there early. But as we said uh, on Twitter at the time, 
Rule number one of cornerbacks, you locate the ball and make yourself a wide receiver, you get away with stuff. That's just the unwritten rule. That's what everyone goes with. A blind corner's getting called, and a corner who locates the ball is not getting called. And to see that out of a guy who had, you know, not been on the field very much um, was a really big deal. And especially since, again, because you specifically mentioned this in the run-up that, like, worrying about depth being a problem at this unit and what happens if a guy gets hurt. I mean, and like a lot of those questions were answered in spades. And then again, like seeing the, just the defined roles where at the end of the day, it was Jeremiah Lewis was the free safety and Rod Hurd was the nickel. All seemed good to me. Seemed like a lot of guys with a lot of experience that knew what they were doing. Um, And of course, Coco and of course, Coco six solo tackles and a sack and two TFLs like, look like a freight train out there so uh, again it's like yeah i just want to emphasize like in pat fitzgerald's tenure the the defense went from like pretty darn good to truly elite like around the what 2015 um it's probably the year that that started that really flipped the difference in my opinion and you saw it with matt harris you saw it with montre hardage you saw it with greg newsom you're now seeing it with uh, uh, Mitchell and Hollis. You've seen it with Hampton. Cornerbacks, multiple cornerbacks playing at the same time that can go stride for stride with the top wide receiving threats from other teams. And it's it's not a catch up after the ball is caught and tackle them. It is a contend the ball on on big downfield passes. This is not something that happened at Northwestern back in like 20, I don't know, 2010, 2009. Right. Um, right. And, and it's, it is just like those play, like teams take deep, deep shots a couple times a game. We have the players to stop that. And it doesn't always work, right? Like the, the, the pass that um, Thompson made on uh, to end the very first drive uh, to Garcia Castaneda in the end zone. It was a perfectly thrown um almost like co- vertical drop fade there. I mean, the, he was, he was the well coverage covered. was there. There wasn't much you could do in that situation. Right. So it's not perfect, but um, like these, these guys showed, showed out and showed up and, and really backed up, you know, John, your claim that the secondary is the strength of this team. And it absolutely is. Right. And, and again, it's like, are, are there people going to be like, they threw for 355 yards against us, like slow, slow your roll. Sure. But you know what? First of all, we don't have an Aiden Hutchinson. We don't have a George Karloftis, right? We don't have a guy who's going to get 15 sacks this year, okay? It's not that kind of team. And yet, we find a way to get to get it done with uh, against a team like this with a defensive line that does enough and a secondary that performs without, you know, the other team getting tons of sacks and also the expectations any of us reasonably could have had about the overall performance of this defense based on last season yep. and a performance like this right out of the gate and being like, look, this is what it can be like. And then again, this thing that we were hammering home in the preseason, this like, look, like focus on getting to six wins. What's the path to six in a bowl game, right? Well, don't get away from that. And by that rationale, it's like literally this offense is literally what Purdue's going to do. What you saw Nebraska do is what Purdue's going to do, probably with an equivalent level of talent. Uh, and I don't think so. I think less talent you, personally. You, but. And, and potentially less. 
And Maryland, going to do the same thing with more talent. Yep. So, I mean, again, it's like this is not the last time we're going to see a team that looks exactly like this. Um, and, and you know, I, f- I think we're feeling pretty good about rolling these same guys out to do this same thing against those teams. So, yeah, at the end of the day, again, it's it's not perfect. It's not like we're ready to just become the 2020 Northwestern defense. But this team answered a lot of questions. 100 percent. I, I said I said the word elite a few minutes ago. I was not trying to say this defense is elite. <laughs> We're not there yet, folks. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of pieces and a lot of stuff to get excited about. I mean, again, like two weeks from now, it's like, what are we going to see from Chase Hubbard in that game? I mean, Aiden Hubbard in that game. What are we going to see from Najee Story in that game? What are we going to see from, you know, if AJ is still, you know, not ready? What are we going to see from Garnett Hollis in that game? Like, they're... they're um, Duke's going to be going sideline to sideline on the ground. What are we going to see from the young linebackers in that game? And suddenly these are exciting questions that we're like, you know, I can't wait to see what the answers are. I love beating Nebraska so much. <laughs> can, can we have a look? Can we have like a little Nebraska schadenfreude section here? Yes, please. Oh, uh, God. So my, I think my favorite thing I read post game was somebody suggested that Scott Frost should be uh, appealing to the Irish government for asylum. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, I mean we, if he get if he gets tarmac, he's not going to have any choice. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we know that's not happening because, like, I, you, right. you guys talked about the October first thing already. Like, that's that's when it's going to change. But um, I just like Nebraska was a thirteen point favorite coming off of a three and nine year where they beat North. Like, yes, they hammered Northwestern, and yes, there was not a lot of reason to like the the we had to squint. I think to show the path on how Northwestern could rebound this year and how it could come together. But, but it's the picture we painted and everyone else was just squinting at the, 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 the red end for knowledge on that helmet and saying, Oh, they're going to be fine. Even though, you know, the teams they beat last year were Northwestern and, and, and two Fordham Fordham. Yeah. And, and I, I'm forgetting the other one, but like Buffalo, thank you. Yeah. Buffalo. Yeah. Nah, like Fordham, Buffalo, Northwestern. And they were, this three and nine team that was going to somehow turn around and win the West this year. Like, yes, they got a bunch of transfer parts, but it's just not how it works. Folks like, yeah. w- like one transfer QB drops in your lap and everything else is in place. Yeah. You got a really good shot to make a big run. You get in a transfer QB, a transfer on your O line, three receivers, a running back. Like that is, that is a lot of parts you got to stitch together day one. And yeah, a I know offensive I'm a- coordinator. Yeah, I know Mel. Oh, a new offensive coordinator who is like <laughs> philosophically put a pin in that. Odd. Let's see where we are midweek. <laughs> the entire history of your program, I like. I'll like. What, I'll be honest. So I, I flipped on the game. I was late um, uh, to the game. I you know we had. Uh, I refused to wear red to my uh, to my kids' uh, school's football game that morning, which my daughter was cheering at because yeah, I was not going to wear red to that. Um, but anyways, I, I got to the game late. And as I turn on the broadcast, the very first thing they're talking about is Whipple and Frost and how different Whipple is and that Frost is not going to be playing call, like not going to be holding a call sheet. He's not going to be calling offensive plays for the first time in, in frankly, his college career. And I was thinking, oh, my God, it's 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 even more palpable than we thought. And sure enough, it didn't take long. Um, they ran like I'll be honest, like there was then there was that moment in the game where Logan Smothers came in. And I was thinking simultaneously, oh, God, is Casey Thompson injured? And, oh, no, that's a dual-threat quarterback. What's this going to do? He ran for seven yards, and then we never saw him again. Um, 
But man, this was a collapse of epic proportions for, for the Cornhuskers, and I loved every second of it. Yeah. I And, you know, so kind of spinning it a little bit, I think to that, that exact moment, right? Because I guarantee in Scott Frost's mind, and he ain't wrong, he's so pissed. Because in his mind, if they run the exact same offense they ran last year, this year, with Logan Smothers, Nebraska wins the game. That's just what's in Scott Frost's mind right now. He all but said it after the game when he threw his offensive coordinator under the bus. Um, and the so rewinding to last year, the team that did something quite similar to us, at least in the first half against us, was Duke. And Duke, I mean, we were joking. Duke named Riley Leonard their starting quarterback today. We can't confirm they did that immediately after watching the Northwestern Nebraska tape, <laughs> but it sure seems like an amazing coincidence. Nah, and, it's, I, I mean, yeah. that's, that's who. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we saw plenty of Riley Leonard last year. It's not like this is surprising, right? But yeah. he is a dual threat quarterback, and Duke is just. Duke doesn't want any piece of what they saw Nebraska just do. I mean, they're just, they, you know, they're, but Duke is, you're going to see Duke take the stab on the ground Nebraska did not take in this game. And that's not to say they're going to be successful, but Duke's going to go for it. And they're going to go for it with Riley Leonard. They're going to go for it with their backs and they're going to the sidelines. They're going to the perimeter. Again, we'll talk a lot more about it next week, but again, it's like, it's, Nebraska, you know, who knows what Nebraska is going to do going forward. But I think, you know, Duke looked at that and was like, well, geez, you know, I don't think that's going to work for us. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see all that part down the road. Let's talk about the the atmosphere. Oh. That was a really that was really, really cool. Yeah, sure. Nebraska had more fans than Northwestern did. I think we all we all knew that was going to be the case. But like. The Northwestern faithful showed out. No, they drank Fitzsimmons bar out of Guinness. Well done, people. Well done. Yeah, that, that was you're, good you're drinking. You're drinking a, a bar that's like up the street from the Guinness brewery out of Guinness. <laughs> well, and let's like shouts to the to the to the fine folks uh, working at, at Fitzsimmons. You, you you made a lot of you helped make a lot of Wildcat fans happy this uh, this past weekend. I hope that they treated you all right. I am. Um, I have to say thank you to all of all of you listening to this yes. and who who sent yeah. us photos, who engaged with us. Like I did I did not feel like I was there, but I felt like I had a more palpable understanding of the experience and the atmosphere um than I would have had just just listening and that's that's um I just I really appreciate you all for doing that. I you know, I alluded earlier I got kind of emotional after the game. Like part of what had me so excited is um I found out like there were a handful of our close friends, like D Dan, who runs our tailgate um, that we tailgate at in the West lot or the East lot or whatever lot. <laughs> uh, and some of our really close friends from, from back in the day in school and in marching band that, that were, that made the trip that were there. I'm so happy they got to see this in person. Um, Jay Sharman, our buddy from Lake the post. So, so happy that he got to see this in person. Like this was, and, and Jay described this um, as like, this is about as, as, Rock is an amazing an atmosphere as he's experienced since the Rose Bowl. Like like that was the level that this was on. And so just you know, kudos to um, all the the effort and tourism that went into this, and to all the fans that that engaged and made this happen. And just like 
I, I could not be happier for y'all that you got to experience this. And thank you for keeping us like at least a little bit involved. Especially those, those of us who were like tweeting at us from inside the stadium, which the Wi-Fi went out, which caused, <laughs> oops, oops. <laughs> yeah. Which caused a, a situation when they're doing cashless, uh, transactions, um, and the Sam, are went you out. saying? Are you saying we got fifty thousand people free beer? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not not saying that. <laughs> I might describe it as Aviva Stadium was like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, yeah, true. The uh, it's it's funny. Like I I totally agree. And and while we were not able to be there, the three of us, I think. We've all been to enough games who, you know, to know that we all are aware of this paradox that exists, right? Where Northwestern almost never sells out at home and visiting teams roll in. And the paradox being you put a special location game or a championship or a bowl game in a far flung location and Northwestern Nation shows out in full force, right? Um, You know, the Big Ten championship game in 2018. For me personally, the Pinstripe Bowl, I'll always remember Yankee Stadium just absolutely rocking with Northwestern fans. So we're able to envision, you know, we saw it on TV. We're able to envision exactly the spirit that Northwestern fans brought there. And then on the back of what Scuzz was saying about the pictures, I just, and again, this goes to that emotional part too. Just from all the pictures everyone sent in the week leading up to the game, and then the game... And the experience the night after the game into the wee hours of the morning, you know, for some of you stayed up all night. And then, you know, we know people that are still there, that are still traveling right now, right? And moving around. Um, It just, this was an all-time great week in the lives of so many people that we know. Where like they will take this week and they'll put it right up on the mantle with some of the best weeks they've ever had in their lives. And I mean, I... God, I mean, what more as that just it makes us feel so good to know that so many of you had a week like that. It's just so awesome. What a way to start the year. There's one other guy that had a pretty good week. We haven't talked about him much. um, And that's Fitz. Yep. And what I wanted to call out was like, I mean, obviously, like they won the game. It's a huge deal. They're bringing back like a trophy that looks like the national championship trophy. <laughs> which is pretty freaking up, which is partially why I joked about Irish national champions off the top. But the thing that, the thing that I wanted to call out was um, the way Fitz opened the post game press conference and talking about when he and his wife went out to Ireland, I guess right at the end of last season or, or, or maybe, you know, early 20, 2022. Um, but they went out to, you know, connect with everybody and touch base and I, I assume do some planning and some glad handing and and some some PR and all that sort of stuff but as part of that he got to connect with uh, his um, distant family members and relatives that that are Irish and and he and he and he talked about in the press conference like his grandparents coming across uh, and immigrating to the states and just what it meant for for him to be able to be back there to be with his dad to make those connections and i just i loved that he talked about it i loved i loved that he got to experience that like what a what a what an amazing meaningful experience for him not just as a, a football coach but um just in his own in his own life and i just it just it it really struck me and it was really really cool to see and and that that's 
just so, so great for him. I, I don't know if you guys noticed the, uh, in addition to the quote unquote national championship of Ireland trophy, do you guys see the, the Waterford crystal football helmet that he was wearing? Um, it was a, another trophy. I, I, there's pictures of him out there that are just really, really cool. He was wearing it. I saw it on yeah, the he, table. I, I didn't know what it, it was. He put it on. That's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> How do we feel about running through a wall, running through a brick wall? Our old parlance, run through a brick wall while wearing helmet? a crystal football helmet. <laughs> yeah. What, what are the time? What are the timestamps on those photos, Sammy? Oh shoot! Yeah. I'll, I'll have to, <laughs> I was, have to uh, text them to you later. I, but uh, I will say was there, that, was, there was there was one. That bef- <laughs> yeah. Go for it, John. Was that before or after Kurt Anderson made his puke tweet, which was sometime in the middle of the night? <laughs> Two a.m. Dublin time. Just incredible. Kurt Anderson, who was on a heater yesterday, like few assistant coaches have been on, uh, coaching an absolutely dominant performance and then dropping an absolute tweet bomb about how only four of his guys puked all summer long. <laughs> and like, yeah, in the middle of the night, no doubt from the middle of some pub. Absolutely epic. Um, yeah. So I hope every one of those coaches enjoyed that night because, yeah, from fits on down. Well earned. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know what more else there is to say. Just phenomenal, uh, phenomenal weekend, phenomenal start to the season. Um, obviously, coming up this week is an off week for Northwestern. Uh, it's week one for everyone else. So there's going to be a bunch of games and, you know, people will watch them. We're not going to sit here and break down Purdue Penn State on Thursday night, uh, which, you know, cool. That, that'll be fun. We'll come back next week, um, you know, coming off the bye week for our 500th episode. Uh, Yeah, crazy. And uh, we'll kind of reset off this great trip and uh, look ahead to Duke and the rest of the non-conference season. So final thoughts, guys, um, before we get out of here. I just know when we were, when we recorded last week's pod while we recorded the offense and defensive preview and the Nebraska preview we, I was kind of envisioning being like I really hope that some of you are flying over the Atlantic right now looking down at those blue waters on a way to a great trip and we were able to provide you know some entertainment for you on the way that times 50 now I just hope some of you are flying back across the Atlantic right now uh, on cloud nine could not be in a happier place having had the week of your life listening to this pod and just feeling great about about yourselves, about life, about Northwestern football, everything. Well said. I, I got I got nothing to add. It was it, yesterday was um one of the highest highs I've had in a few years. It was it 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 was just wonderful. That the I've got a combo Northwestern and Irish flag uh, hanging outside of my my house. Um like I jammed another grommet on my on my flagpole, basically, so I could fly two instead of just one. And I'm I'm gonna leave it up there and uh, as long as I possibly can. It just it was a uh, I don't want to say unexpected, but it was like the best possible outcome of um, oh God. going into the weekend. And it just it was it was so great. Yeah, and and just to echo what both you guys said, just just a phenomenal phenomenal weekend. Phenomenal trip uh, that so many of you guys had. Uh, phenomenal game. Phenomenal way to start the season. And, you know, I, I'm i looking forward to hearing kind of the, the, the national broadcasts, the national breakdowns of everything, and 
how 90% of that is going to be how Nebraska effed it all up and, you know, not giving us any credit whatsoever because that's how everything rolls. I hate to tell you this, Sammy, but it's already there. Like I was, oh, I know. Like, I, like know. I was looking on The Athletic, um, which basically has like a, a game, kind of a game re- recap. The headline is, you know, Northwestern deals Nebraska another, you know, one score loss. And then probably 80% of the column is about Nebraska. And then there's a, there's a big write up on Scott Frost and, and this and the other thing. And that, and that's it. Bupkis Elts. And like, it's, you know, we're used to this. This is the way it goes. It's part of the reason we do this podcast. Cause there's some Northwestern centric content right here, but, um, but yeah, there's not a lot of, uh, not, not a lot of um, love for, for the Wildcats coming out of this quite yet. So we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Westlaw Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.